titled Straight Facts. And we've been studying the first century church as described in the book of Acts and how those lessons from that book apply to us today. So um, our text of emphasis today is found in Acts 8, verses 1 to 25, and I'll be reading it um, from the New International Version. And as you search your Bibles for the passage or your devices for the passage, I want to give you a little bit of context about what we're about to read. If you remember from last week, Pastor Todd spoke about the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And the passage that I'm about to read um, comes immediately after that. So please follow along as I read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 25. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church of, in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lamed were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now a man named Simon... Now, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one and the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he began to follow Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard of the, that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given to the apostles, he lit, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The word of the Lord. Y'all, this has got to be one of the most random stories I have ever read in my life. 
I can't tell you how many times I've read the book of Acts or heard a sermon on the book of Acts, and for the life of me, I can't seem to remember ever hearing about Simon the sorcerer. Maybe I can't remember the story because it just seems so out of place. We've just witnessed one of the most significant events in the Christian church, the death of Stephen, and we were just told that the church is being persecuted and slaughtered. And then for some reason, the writer of Acts thinks that it's really important to include a story of some guy walking around Samaria doing all of these magic tricks and claiming to be someone great. And listen, I don't know if Simon's magic came from dark entities or if they were just elaborate illusions and sleight of hands, but I do know this. Simon loved the attention. He loved praise. He loved the adulation. He loved the approval of the people around him. And you know what? I can't be mad at him because I do too. Actually, so do you. I may not know most of you, but I know this. I know that you like compliments. Believe me, I'm a psychologist, so I know these things. <laughs> and I'll tell you a little trick. Here's the, here's the trick how to figure out if someone likes compliments, okay? Everybody with a, with a brain, raise your hand. Okay, now look around. Keep your hands up. Look around, everyone. You see everyone with their hands raised? Those people love compliments. See, there's this region of the brain called the ventral striatum, and it, every time that you receive approval, it lights up with activity. This is the same region that would light up if you were to ingest a highly addictive drug or substance. So approval and compliments and praise from others are literally addictive. God built into us this need to be cared about, this need to matter. And above and beyond the basic needs we have of food and water and shelter, we all need to matter. We just want to know that someone cares. So yes, Simon the magician, he's a little extra and he's a little annoying, but we can judge him if we want to, right? But we can't say we don't understand him. So maybe you'll be able to understand what it might have been like for Simon when Philip comes into town. Did you catch this part? Philip began to heal the sick and to release those who were in bondage to evil spirits. So that means that all this time while Simon was doing his magic tricks, people were in pain and people were dying. But all Simon cared about was the attention. And then suddenly this attention is gone. And perhaps in his desperation to figure out why, Simon went to where Peter was speaking, and then he listened to the message of the resurrected Christ, and he believed, and he was baptized. And the passage says that he was just, he was amazed, so, so much so that he began to follow Peter, um, Philip around. And perhaps while Philip preached, Simon took his attention away from the message of Christ and he began to notice the faces of the people. And he began to realize that those faces of amazement, that used to be for him. And he began to miss it. And so then one day, Peter and John come to join Philip and to preaching Samaria and they performed even more miracles and Simon thought, wow, this is my chance. So he went up to them and he offered them money and in, ex in exchange for God's power. Have you ever said something so ignorant that the moment it comes out of your mouth, you knew you messed up? <laughs> that's how I pictured, that's how I pictured this interaction between Simon the sorcerer and Peter, because Peter loses it. He says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. 
Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are filled of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Mercy. That verse right there, that's why I was nervous to preach this sermon. Because it's really not hard to see that all of, behind all of Simon's arrogance, behind all of the, that apparent confidence, there's insecurity. Simon was a new convert, and Peter didn't even try to understand him. And this Peter we've seen in the entire books of Acts as this compassionate man, and he's healing the sick, and he's leading them to Christ, and he could have spared just a little bit more grace in that moment. Yes, Simon was annoying, and Simon was extra, but he just wanted what we all want, to matter. To be completely honest, when I first read this passage, my first thought was, oh no, I really don't want to speak about humility. I'm a little uncomfortable with this topic, particularly given my line of work. As a therapist, I especially spend my days teaching people how to love themselves and how to blame their moms, but also how to love themselves. <laughs> and, and that's been difficult for me growing up in the church, right? Because what I've learned is that to believe that you're, to be truly humble, you have to kind of believe on some level at least that you don't matter. When I, when I was growing up, I used, I used to go to church camp, and we used to sing this song about humility. It's called, of all things, Oh, You Can't Go to Heaven in Roller Skates. Have you heard it? Okay, so we're going to sing a little bit. This is my favorite verse. It has a bunch of verses. It goes, Oh, you can't go to heaven in a miniskirt. Humble me so I could do that well. Because God don't like those girls who flirt. Humble me so I could do that well. That is a mess, right? <laughs> But can you imagine if you're a little kid what, what humility means for you if that's how you understand it through messages like that and through songs like that? You can't go to heaven in a miniskirt. What? I mean, what you're saying is that your value, your value is based on what people can see on the outside. And so I'm not saying to stop singing this song. It's hilarious, right? But what I'm saying is, is this really what humility is? Maybe not, which is why I think there's a little bit more to this story than meets the eye. This is why I think that maybe this passage is not about Simon the magician at all. Maybe it's about Peter. Maybe it's about this over-the-top reaction that Peter had that doesn't really make sense. Because you see, my suspicion is that Simon the magician's insecurities hit a little bit too close to home for Peter. You see, just like me, Peter had a problem with humility, too. You probably know this, but Peter was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Actually, he, just, he wasn't just one of them. He was the very first one. And in the Bible, Jesus speaks to Peter more than he speaks to any of the other disciples. Peter was an important man, but he didn't start off that way. You see, his name wasn't even really Peter. It was Simon, Simon, son of John, and he was a fisherman from the town of Bethesda. And while Simon, son of John, one day was mending his nets on his father's boat, a man named Jesus appears and invites him to be his disciples. And this man named Jesus turns out to be one of the most famous rabbis of his time and is rumored to be the Messiah. And Simon, son of John, who just a little while back was this unimportant fisherman, finds himself in the inner circle of the most important rabbi of his time. And Jesus even changes his name to Peter, which means rock. And this new name evokes strength and evokes firmness and evokes conviction. 
But the truth was that Peter was actually really insecure. I mean, wouldn't you be? Imagine being a lowly fisherman who people walk by and ignore. Or worse, they pass you by and avoid you because you smell like fish. All right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're the right hand of the man who everyone is talking about. To me, that just seems like a recipe for the imposter syndrome. Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome? You have, good. <laughs> it's actually not a syndrome. It's called the imposter phenomenon. And it's this overwhelming, feel, overwhelming feeling within like your work or within your school or within social situations that you are a fraud. And this feeling that you're not good enough to be in the position that you have and it's just a matter of time before people find out who you really are. Have you ever felt that way? I have. I haven't just felt that way, I've lived that way. I mean, I just started a new job in January and people are expecting me to know things and I feel like a fraud all the time. We're terrified of being found out and being seen as the frauds that we are, so we try to keep up appearances. And that was Peter's relationship with Jesus in a nutshell. No, it's not that Peter thought that Jesus was a fraud. Peter loved Jesus and he truly believed him to be the Messiah. But Peter could never seem to get past his own feelings of inadequacy and his need to, to feel mattered and his need to see that other people care about him. And he projected this onto Jesus as well. Take this event from Matthew chapter 16 as an example. And this is right after Jesus confirms to his disciples that he truly is the Messiah. And in verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter loves rebuking people. And he also caught some nerve because that was Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus replies, and, it, and in verse 23 it says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch. Those words from Jesus are biting. But we've heard him. But we've heard him say them before, or at least something like this. Before the start of his ministry, Jesus spent time in the wilderness, and he was tempted three times by Satan. And the final time, Satan offers Jesus all the world and all the splendor and all the adulation of the world, and Jesus replies, away from me, Satan. And now he's saying the same thing to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. But he doesn't just stop there. He continues in verse 24, which reads, Then Jesus said to his disciple, whoever, disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus doesn't want the glory of the world. He doesn't want the world's approval because he doesn't need it. But Peter does. Peter is uncomfortable with humility. Peter felt like a fraud and he needed the world to tell him that he mattered. Peter needed to know that people cared. So this humility thing, 
that Jesus is talking about, this is too foreign to Peter. He doesn't understand it. This doesn't make sense. And there's even one time he goes up to Jesus and said, okay, fi fine, we've humbled ourselves. We've given up everything for you, so what are we going to get out, out of it? He doesn't get it. So as we continue to follow the relationship of Jesus and Peter, we see this pattern repeat itself over and over again. For example, in Mark chapter 9, Peter is one of only three people who is invited to witness the transfiguration of Jesus. But instead of focusing on the miracle in front of him, Peter is preoccupied with making altars, human symbols of the divine, but the divine is right in front of him. In John chapter 13, Jesus kneels before him to wash his feet, and Peter's first instinct is to rebuke Jesus again, this guy. And he says, no, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Over and over again, we see that Peter can't look past his own inadequacies. Peter needs to matter. He needs the world to care. And he projects that onto Jesus. Because to Peter, like to me and maybe to you, humility doesn't make sense. So then came that night that Peter never expected to come. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter was there with him too. And Jesus was praying, and he asked Peter, stay awake and please watch for me. But Peter falls asleep. But suddenly he's startled awake by this angry mob who has come to take away his beloved rabbi. And Peter is afraid and he's angry and he's confused. And in his confusion, he grabs a sword and he cuts off the ear of a young man in the mob. And the Bible says that Jesus says to him, no, Peter, no, put your sword away. Don't you think that I cannot call, do you think that I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But then how could the scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus is saying, Peter, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who sent me? All this time, do you really think I need worldly approval to show my value? My humility doesn't threaten my value. I humble myself because I am a value. A sacrifice with no value is no sacrifice at all. And Peter, there's a world that is hurting and there's a world that needs me. And I need you to understand that. And I wish I could say that he did. I wish I could say that from that moment on, Peter understood what Jesus was trying to tell him about humility. But that very same night, as Peter saw the rabbi that he loved so much being dragged away and beaten and sent to death, he denied him three times. And after that denial, the Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. And it's so interesting from here on out because Peter, the, the disciple who talks so much in, in the entire Bible, after his denial of Jesus, we don't hear another word from him. Well, at least not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is tried, and he is crucified, and then he rises from the dead, and he even shows himself up to the disciples. But Peter, who had so much to say, says nothing. But then there's a story in the last chapter of John, and we hear the very first words of Peter that come after he denied Christ. And in John chapter 21, verse 3, we hear Peter's first words, and he says, I'm going out to fish. And the other disciples decide to to join him and they go out as well. And as they're fishing, they're having a hard time catching and they see, they see a figure out on the shore and immediately recognize that it's Jesus. 
And Peter, impulsive as always, he jumps into the water and he swims to the shore. Actually, the Bible says that they were pretty close, so he didn't really need to do that. But Peter, but that's just the kind of guy that Peter was. And Jesus, this is actually a lovely passage because Jesus and his disciples, they sit together on the beach and by the fire, and Jesus makes them breakfast. And then in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, it says this. When they were finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. That's beautiful, isn't it? But can I tell you, I got so angry when I read that. Peter was hurt. What was he hurt by? Did he not understand what was going on? Jesus was saying, Simon, I have humbled myself, and the world believes that I'm a fraud. And right now, you're one of the few people that know me and, that be and believe that I have overcome the grave. Is that enough for you, Peter? Is it enough that I love you whether you are Peter the Rock or Simon the Smelly Fisherman? You matter to me. Can that mean more to you than all the wonders and all the praise of all the world? Peter, because... There's a lot of hurt in the world, and I need you to recognize your worth so that you can go and serve those in pain. And I don't want you to think that this is some touchy-feely, feel-good gospel. No, this is the basis of, of God's gospel. This is the, the God's love is the basis of the gospel. It says it right there in John 3.16. But it's also a call to action, because once we understand our value in the eyes of God, human approval is nothing in comparison. When we don't have to search for our hit of approval for, from others, we can focus on our eyes on what really matters. We saw the danger of that in the story of Simon the Magician. People were dying and in pain, and all Simon the Magician could talk about was how great he was. But God loves us, and he needs us to understand that because a sacrifice of no value is no sacrifice at all. Your value is in the love that the king of the universe has for you, and that means something. But Peter didn't understand, and it made me so angry. And I had to think about my anger and had to sit with it. And I have to wonder if Peter's insecurities just hit a little bit too close to home for me. I don't know what happened to Simon the magician. I pray that he found grace and enough value in Christ to truly humble himself and serve others. But I do know what happened to Peter. You see, at the end of his life, right before he was executed, he wrote two letters that we have in our Bible, and we call them First and Second Peter. And this is what he wrote in First Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. 
not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording, lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will gain the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself in humility towards one another because God opposes the, crowd, the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. But then he adds this verse, and it seems so out of place. But given what we know about Peter, it makes total sense. In verse 7, he says, Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. It might have taken a lifetime, but he finally got it. He finally got that a sacrifice of no value is no sacrifice at all. Humility is not thinking that we don't matter. Humility is based on an understanding that we are loved and we are valued by the master of the universe. That is why God made us to crave acceptance from something outside of ourselves, and that is why it is never enough to seek it from the world. That hole, that need that you have, that hole is a, a God-shaped hole, and he wants you to know that he can fill that need. So church family, this is my prayer today. When you are confronted with your insufficiency, may you know that the God of the universe will keep whispering or will keep yelling and will keep doing whatever is necessary until you understand that you are enough and he wants to, you to heal the broken world along with him. And may you finally understand one day when the master calls you by name and he asks you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Amen. <laughs>